0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to
1: Marketing Trends and the Leads Art Week.
2: Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Keith Messick. Keith is the CMO of DialPad. He previously served as the CMO of Lucidworks and held senior marketing leadership roles at Topsy, Get Satisfaction, and SuccessFactors. On this episode, Keith talks all about creativity, how to build a creative team, how to help great creative ideas rise to the top, how to build a creative B2B brand, and more. Here at Mission, we are all about accelerated learning, and we know we have many very busy marketing executives who listen to the podcast. So we wanted to start doing something a little different, and that is pulling our top takeaways from the podcast and putting them up front. So here are five clips that highlight our top five takeaways from this interview with Keith Messick.
3: I mean, one, it's like, I don't think we ever really appreciate how little attention people have. Totally. And how not important our thing is in their day-to-day life totally and so getting their attention i think is harder than ever it takes more creative than ever before and you also have to be willing to take a risk like how do you keep that within your team that to
4: think of those ideas to be funny to be relevant to be current uh, and kind of push the
3: boundary of just like same old boring stuff right i mean first of all it starts with hiring i think i've built a good team of creative people even people you know Everyone's job is to be creative. The fallacy is that to think that people are different from, you know, from five to nine than they are from nine to five. It's like these emotional animals after work, but once they're super logical, once they get to the office, which we know isn't true, people buy software for all sorts of emotional reasons. Um, And they just justify it with logic in the last 5%. We all know this, right? The one point that I would reemphasize is that constraint really does like constraints makes a better outcome like you can then if you have infinite resources can then put that outcome all over the place but like in terms of like having whether it's timeline whether it's resources whether it's like just legal constraints like whatever it is you'll find your way better than if it's just complete green grass i've never met a company that was really good at being something for everyone like it just You've got to be something for someone. Yep, And oftentimes that means that you're you're basically, by acknowledging that, you're saying, we're not something for this other group. So those were our top five takeaways, but that's really just scratching the surface. It's a really great interview.
2: Keith is one of those people who is overflowing with awesome ideas. You should definitely listen to the full thing. So without further ado, here is our interview with Keith Messick, CMO of Dialpad.
0: Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes.
4: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And in studio. Keith, what's going on? Try right, in studio.
3: 200-degree studio. How are you?
4: Yeah, it is. Uh, admittedly, the uh, AC's been running, but it might get a little warm in here. Uh, you're on the hot seat. You're
3: the first person truly on, on, the, on the hot seat. On the Mission hot seat. Yeah, um, if you hear any thumps, one of us has passed out, but it's hot in the Bay Area today. Um, but we'll survive. Yeah, we will survive. So really excited to have you in studio today.
4: We are Dialpad customers here at Mission, and I've been using Uber Conference for uh, the better part of my entire business career. I feel like Uh, I can't remember if I used it when I was in the army, but I have been addicted to uh, Uber Conference for a long time. So Really, really excited to talk all things Dialpad, Uber Conference, and your career. So first, how'd you get into marketing?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I took the long way around the block, I guess you could say. I My first job out of college was at Pricewaterhouse as a very average C programmer, even though I had a marketing degree. Uh, it's a story that I'll save You had you. a marketing degree. I had a marketing degree. I, I won't save you the story. I'll just give it to you. Yeah. Uh, so... I had paid my way through school. I was the first person in uh, my family to go to college. And I was at the University of South Carolina. Basically, that's long and and short of it is I had no plan. And so as I was starting to interview for jobs, what I realized is that I hadn't traveled a ton and Pricewaterhouse, uh, this was back in the big eight at the time. So E&Y, Arthur Anderson, Pricewaterhouse, Coopers, this is before they merged. Basically, their shtick was like, see the world and I was like I'm in that's so great that was but they're like that's how the military gets you <laughs> right, too that's right and they were like but in order to see the world you need to be able to write code and I had grown I'm fairly technical for your average you know for a marketer and I had grown up writing really bad code but I understood enough if then statements and like curly braces to fake my way through it and get the job and then they quickly saw the level of code that I was able to write, and then they moved me into consulting, which was great. You code like a consultant. That's right. And then I went from there into Siebel, then to to corporate executive board, and basically I sort of, between uh, writing below average code, being a fairly good consultant, I got into sales, and then I ended up in marketing at SuccessFactors. and And here we are yeah and here we are so you've
4: uh you've done a few stints as cmo Mm -hmm. we'll get into a little bit later in the episode what was your your thought process when you were coming into the role at Dialpad? but first i wanted to talk about what you think about the long-running extremely popular uber conference and at times divisive right uh, (laughs) uber conference hold music
3: so uh, I guess you can explain it to our listeners. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, we appreciate the longstanding usage of Uber Conference and Dialpad. It's so great. The The Uber Conference hold song is the gift that keeps on giving. It, still today, we'll see someone on Twitter who'll be like, you know, oh my God, have you heard this hold music on the Uber Conference? And it still makes us chuckle because it was recorded quite some time ago. Yeah. And what,
4: what's the story? I know you weren't there back then, but um, I'm sure it's company lore.
3: So... The founders of Dialpad, so it's the former Google Voice team, had many exits. They sold a company called Grand Central to Google, ran Google Voice, spun out. Google was nice enough to back them. And the sort of core ethos to to those handful of people is like make it simple, make it fun, be willing to do things other people won't. So, Uber Conference at its core was like no pins. You get a static URL. You can use a phone number you know it was just like the how do, how can we make a conference the easiest possible experience and then they just looked at it and said and one of the founders at the time Alex Cornell uh, who actually wrote and recorded that song they they thought hold music is also pretty terrible yeah no it's <laughs> so the worst. what if we just made a funny sort of spoof on hold music and it became the sort of viral thing that people loved and sometimes hated but even today just in the past probably month We've had two big national brands, one an airline, who we're working through, and another a restaurant that have asked, who use Uber Conference, who've asked if they could record hold music. Like, basically, would we sell them funny hold music, like, as, a, as an ad spot? Yeah. So it's really weird to think about that still being a thing. But people love it. So this is a great point about how
4: the little moments in life end up becoming optimized, because I've always thought about this for whole music. That what a perfect opportunity to be like the flyers in your in your you know company bathroom, right? Like you can give, hey, did you know that you know our CEO was nominated for the EY Entrepreneur of the Year, which you know uh, Craig Walker, your CEO, is. Like little things like that are like, hey, did you know we you know sponsored a podcast? Or hey, did you know that? Don't forget about you know getting your tickets to our conference or whatever it is. Like, I always think that there's so many
3: opportunities like that, that people don't, that don't take advantage of. Right. I mean, one it's like, I don't think we ever really appreciate how little attention people have. Totally. And how not important our thing is in their day-to-day life. totally. And so getting their attention, I think, is harder than ever. It takes more creative than ever before. And you also have to be willing to take a risk. And I think as you get really, really big, risk becomes a bad thing. Obviously, we're fortunately at the stage where we're fast growing, but we're still willing to take chances, which I think is a lot of fun. And honestly, like we just sort of make ourselves laugh and we tend to think like, well, usually we're a pretty good judge of what's funny. And so we're not we're not scared to do that. So we do that even today with Dialpad, just in different ways. Obviously, the hold music was definitely the the trophy winner. I know. I want to know how
4: much it costs. I'm. I won't ask you on air here, but I want to know how much it costs to license. Never going to give you up from Rick Astley because. So I used to use that as right. my whole. Team.
3: So you would rickroll.
4: Yeah, so I'd rickroll yep. every person, and like you'd get on the call, and this still happens. You get on the call, and people are just like cracking up. Like you right. come onto the call, and they're just laughing. They're like, "I've never been rickrolled on a on a meeting before, or whatever." Right. But like, you know, Friday is the spice of life. Like, why not mix things up a little bit? And I always think we talked, you know, before on the mic, like just how freaking boring so much of business content is so much of just uh, marketing campaigns
3: or just business stuff in general. Like, why not add a little bit of spice into it? Right. I think the prevailing thought, I mean, people are coming around, but it's also it's hard to force something. You can't make it funny. You can't make it interesting. Either it is or it isn't. But I always thought Zendesk, early Zendesk, did a really good job of this. MailChimp, we talked about, always has done a good job of this. Just sort of looking at this and like making an emotional hook with the audience, right? In Zendesk's case, it was like everyone, like the customer support experience is something that everyone hated. Yep. If you were needing, in need of customer support, you hated it. And if you were working in customer support, you hated it. So you've started with an experience that no one is happy about. And then Zendesk made it sort of like an elegant experience, right? They made really good software. They like basically made it sort of a source of pride to be in customer support, you know? And so uh, I remember those early and they did such so many great, funny videos that they used to have the Buddha. Mm -hmm. And and so I always appreciated that MailChimp still makes me laugh. It's still such a great brand. So I think. This topic of
4: fun marketing is not something that we've talked a ton about on the show, but kind of is an undercurrent of a lot of the things. You know, we talk about marketing is meant to be remarkable. You're supposed to share it with other people uh, if it's done right. We talk about, you know, fueling word of mouth. You know, we we ask a lot of marketers about their favorite ad campaigns. You know, they're all the memorable ones, obviously. You really seem like you run your team with an amount of keeping that through line of making it fun, making it funny. Uh, Recently, you have two super funny videos. The Fast Talker video, which we just watched before this, which is hilarious. We'll link up in the show notes. Failed AI auditions, or auditions, excuse me, where you have robots uh, auditioning to be AI. How do you think about making marketing fun? Like, How do you keep that within your team that to think of those ideas, to be funny, to be relevant, to be current, uh, and kind of push the boundary of just like same old boring stuff.
3: Right. I mean, first of all, it starts with hiring. I've, I think I've built a good team of creative people, even people, you know, everyone's job is to be creative. That's what I. we just had our marketing offsite last week. And, you know, we talk about awareness and, you know, for those of you at home, Dialpad, it's, it's business communications in the cloud. So it's voice, video, text, So think of it as, you know, we built a software company to make the phone ring in an area that was largely defined by hardware. We're one of the, maybe the only software companies in the space. And so we compete against everything from like the large carriers to massive billion dollar companies. So part of it is we just can never outspend them. Like I can't buy more radio billboards, AdWords than any, almost any of our competitors. Yeah. So what we have to do is make every interaction count more. Like we have to be more thoughtful. We have to be willing to take chances because it, at the end of the day, it's just becomes a, a marketplace and they can afford to buy more than we can. Yeah. And so when you, you think of it like that, it forces you to be a little more scrappy. It also forces creativity because if you're just saying the same thing, and honestly, our space, if you just went website to website, to website to website, and we've been guilty of this as well, it's something I'm, actually working on at the moment, you just all end up saying the same thing totally because it's super safe.
4: Well, and it's like the categories defined by certain words and That's there's right. SEO involved. And there's like, there's all these rules, like quite right. literal, you know, rules that a website and that you're positioning and that investors and, and everyone is all kind of working towards like, Hey, we need to have all these buzzwords. So how do you stand out?
3: Right. And it's, it's tricky. Like we talk about this a lot internally of like, SEO at the expense of conversion is a bad trade. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly walking that line of, and also like sometimes the way you would write for SEO, you just end up talking like you're writing for a robot. So you end up talking like a robot and then you just have the people get there and they're like, what is this? Like who's writing this copy? And it really drives me crazy. So it's something we work on a lot, but I feel, you know, Dialpad is pretty fortunate, like the founders themselves are willing to take risk, and also are just generally funny people. Yeah, like we enjoy like a good joke, right? And I'll give you an example. Um, we have a billboard on one hundred and one, and we we keep this one billboard, and sometimes we'll have two, but one billboard is oh, not. It it's time. not like an out of home campaign. It's like you have one billboard. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. We're not wrapping every bus in the city, and we're not every you know at every gate at SFO yet. <laughs> but, so you have this one billboard. So it's, like,
4: it's right by, it's right kind of in downtown. That's it's, right. If you're
3: coming, gosh. North. Northbound, you see it on your left side. That's right. right. Yeah, I know exactly what it is. And so, well, good, that makes me happy. So we always are laughing, like, how do we make that billboard count? And the founders, we had our, our holiday party. We're up in Vancouver, actually, at our office. And we were making a joke of, like, we should just let every employee design the billboard. Every week, every two weeks, some ridiculous thing. So, of course, as the head of marketing, I'm like, wait, wait, that <laughs> sounds really funny, but it's off. it can't be implemented. Like, it's just an insane idea, though I appreciate it. So, what we did is we morphed that into, like, we had all of the employees send us, like, their most awkward childhood photo. And we sort of locked in the, and mine was first. I was 1987 in East Tennessee. My sister permed my mullet. Oh, my gosh. Which was a really hot look at the time. And there's a picture of me and the, the saying says, you know, middle school is hard, but your phone system doesn't have to be. I saw that ad. And so then we just changed the picture out and we changed a little bit of copy and we got a ton of credit for this one billboard. And people would, I mean, seriously, people would call in, they'd start trials and be like, I had to see what this is just because. And so I think sometimes scarcity forces like their creative process in a way where if you have like an infinite abundance of money and resources then you really don't have to make each one of them count because you just have so much exposure. I long for that day. Yeah, right. (laughs) But in the meantime, we work really hard to try and make every experience count. Gosh,
4: that's a freaking great point because, um, and I love how you said SEO at the expense of conversion, because I think that all of this kind of blends into the same bucket, which is like, you have to be memorable and you have to be authentic enough that people will take action. Um, I think that's a problem with like a lot of the A-B testing is like you A-B test yourself into boring. That's right. And boring is not memorable. Like, yes, it could help a certain page convert faster. Right. But you still have to like resonate with them in some way to be memorable because like at the end of the day, if the person is on that road to look at you and all of your competitors and all of your copy helps them convert to get to a demo... I think a lot of CMOs might say, well, hey, that's just a straight-up win for us. Like, it got to demo, therefore it's a win. That's right. But it's like, is it a win if you're not going to be positioned in the right way? Like, right. if you're just telling them what they're looking for, you're not exactly, you know, advocating for the future. Especially at Dialpad, where you're working on some stuff behind the hood or under the hood, behind the scenes, that is really cutting edge. So how do you kind of, like have those two things at odds with one another of that informing the market of what is right now versus, you know, speaking to the future that you're creating. Sure.
3: It's, it's a challenge. Surface area is a challenge for any company at this stage and it's surface area is always a challenge for marketers. So when you have different products and different audiences and you're both trying to sell the present, but point towards the future, it's, you know, it's, so it always comes down to, in my mind is, First of all, like marketing's job is just to understand the audience better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Understand the market, right? Yeah. So it's just like who are who do we want to hear this, see this, read this, and what do we want them to feel, right? And I don't. If you don't have a good answer of that, I think it's pretty hard to do anything super effective, right? So we want to balance brand building with conversion, and and I think that's B two B startups historically aren't great at brand building. There's certainly some exceptions. I think Mailchimp's a great exception. Um, Zendesk is a great exception. There's others. B2B startups are oftentimes, they're very product first. So it's product and inch focused. You sort of throw marketing at it last. You yeah. hire some salespeople and then you hire someone in marketing or lead marketing. You start building out a marketing team. And so in our case, I think the founders did a really good job of always thinking about, they always were thinking about growth. They were always thinking about positioning, even though they didn't call it that. Mm-hmm. And they were always thinking about brand building, even though consciously they didn't say like, these activities we're doing are to build brand. So I was able to come in and there's, it's a real luxury when it's like, I don't know, you're, we're already doing that. You're just not calling it that. Mm-hmm. And, and so then it's just a clarity thing. It's like, okay, well, and once everyone sees that, then you can try and say like, hey, we're gonna be brand forward we're still going to make an emotional hook because the fallacy is that to think that people are different from, you know, from five to nine than they are from nine to five. It's like we're these emotional animals after work, but once they're super logical, once they get to the <laughs> yeah. office, which we know isn't true, people buy software for all sorts of emotional reasons. Um, and they just justify it with logic in the last 5%. We all know this, right? But it, it's it's one thing to know, it. it's sort of like common sense is really common practice as my very Southern mother used to tell me. And it it holds true here probably more than ever. It's like, we know it's true, but it feels challenging, right? It's much easier to lead with your ROI calculator than to lead with a piece of creative that gets someone's attention. So we try and do both. And we try to do it just at the appropriate time is the answer. And sometimes we screw it up. But I also hear you, you can A-B test yourself to like, just sort of like like mediocrity.
4: Oh, I mean, it by inherently. I mean, uh, Eric Reese, who wrote Lean Startup, yep. um, always says at some point, you're going to A B test your, if you A B test photos, you're going to A B test yourself into a place that you're, you're probably, your legal team is not comfortable with what photos you're A B testing. Right. And you look at that at the tabula and Outbrain photos of like, you know, guys and girls and low cut shirts and shirtless and all this sort of stuff. Like, that is, happening before our eyes. Right. Like there's a reason why all of those images are surfaced for all of these stupid articles that you get fed. Right. So you can get to that point. But again, is that building your company in a way that is like memorable, that they have a positive brand, you know, affinity, that they're actually starting to like you or that they're going to want to actually work with you to get to the 5%
3: of of logic that you have there. And and like. When, so when I say Uber conference, you say hold music. Like yeah. It, the, and that's what we're known for. Like that's brand building, right? That that artifact in Uber conference history still lives with us. And it's still the thing people are most associate. Even the people are like, oh my God, I can never hear that song ever again. Yeah. They still think hold music. And so with Dialpad. And you hear it th- really, sorry to ahead. interrupt you. Really quick thing on this too. You actually
4: hear it in your most vulnerable moment because you're like, (laughs) I just got freaking stood up. I can't believe that this, and I'm hearing this person and this stupid song over and over and over again. But like, but again, you might have some negative connotation with the brand a little bit there, but the alternative is, you know, the the music
3: that you've had for every other engagement ever. Right. No, it's. We looked at it as like, and I, and I really, again, I think the hold music is like its own episode because it's such a great thing, but they, they looked at it as like, it's like, Hey, we're going to have a teleconference at noon or, or at one, you know, like no one's like, can't wait, right? Very rarely. You're like, it's just part of life. Okay. Well, it's how we communicate, whatever it is. And so you sort of go into it at best, emotionally neutral, like oftentimes emotionally negative, and so when you get the whole music, especially for the first time, it totally, I remember the first time oh, me too. that I heard the whole music, I remember who I was on the phone with and I, I still laugh about all of us dying laughing. We all like, you're now connected. And we're like, boom, 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 you know? And we're like, did you hear the whole music? And yeah. everyone was dying laughing. I remember
4: uh, shout out to Heather, if you're listening. I was like late to a meeting with her. I was like five minutes late or six minutes late. Okay, I think I forgot maybe or something. Anyways, and I got the push notification of like, you know, whatever it was. And I got an email in my inbox be like, I can't believe you just Rick rolled me. Like showing up five minutes late after Rick rolling me is like the all time, you know, power move or something right. funny like that. And uh, I was just like super embarrassed and got all it. She's like, oh no, it was hilarious. I listened to the whole song, it was great. Right. Like just that sort of thing. Like and if that's your kind of starting point, especially for you as a CMO coming in, it kind of gives you the leeway to say, "Hey, shouldn't we just try to figure out stuff that's memorable, right?" Right.
3: Now? Yeah, I it's depending on the age of the listener. We're all over the, That's right. all over the board. So, I used to be at a company called Sebel. Way back when. We got a lot of
4: Siebel references, FYI, yeah, on this show. That's good. Well, Lauren used to, she was talking about Siebel
3: integrations. I was like, timely ref, Lauren. That's right. And so I was at Siebel when Salesforce, salesforce.com launched, right? Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, it's so hard because it wasn't in the grand scheme of things that long ago, like compared to like inventing the car. Yeah, totally. But like in the cloud computing was, and, you know, software as a service was very new. It's 20 right? years ago. Right. And And look, you, you can't even imagine a world that doesn't operate that way but I remember I was uh, I was living on the East Coast but I was working I was living in Atlanta I was out at Siebel for a meeting and I remember that salesforce.com had branded a full page ad in either the New York Times or the USA I don't remember what else Street journal and it said lost your shirt buying Siebel it like said no software and it said lost your shirt buying Siebel let us know we'll send you one for free and they'll send you like a no software t-shirt. And I remember thinking, like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? Just, like, what a what a great use of, I mean, big investment for a company that was pretty early at the time. And it was just, like, the most guerrilla thing ever at a time when no one did that in B2B against, like, a pretty powerful incumbent. Like, Tom Siebel was on the cover of Fortune. Mm-hmm. And so I always had great respect for that. And, and I think even today, like, if you fast-forward, And I have this conversation a lot of times with enterprise reps, and I'll be like, when we're talking about emotion, I'm like, go go to Dreamforce. Like, there's mascots walking around. Like, this isn't like, they don't have a, here's our ROI calculator mascot. Like, it's like, get your picture with Sassy or whatever their names are. They still operate in a very consumer-like way when it comes to branding and emotion. And now, you know, they're buying companies for $15 billion dollars. So I appreciated that how Salesforce stuck to their guns there even as they became one of the most important companies in the world. You know, we we were
4: just at serious decisions and obviously our amazing sponsor, Pardot, was there and we were talking, we had just interviewed Adam Blitzer talking about founding Pardot and starting a company in the south in Atlanta and right. all this stuff. But one of the things that he was talking about with Pardot early days was that they never changed pricing and that that they still have customers using Pardot that he closed. And it's like, how many companies, software companies, would A, grandfather pricing from, through acquisition, through like all this sort of stuff, and B, keep that brand alive, you know, for so long. And, you know, obviously they're the sponsor of the podcast, and we love them, but it's more, that type of stuff is classic Salesforce, like just getting it. Of, yep. Adam told us that when he sat down and like talked through everything with Pardot and Mark was just like, this is great. Tell me more. Uh, and that's, uh, they ended up acquiring the company. I mean, right. it's just, that's the sort of stuff where you look at what the big folks do and how they behave for the long-term
3: 10-year time horizon. Yep.
4: And it's like, we should probably all be doing that.
3: Yep. Well, it was such a great acquisition too. No one, I don't think anyone at the time, everyone knew Salesforce would buy something in the space. I don't know that Pardot was the one that people thought, but it made perfect sense the moment you heard it. And then you hear, you know, we just released the in the full episode
4: with uh, with Adam and you hear him talk about building the company and like his thought process. And you're like, oh yeah, you forget that like part of the reason and like how many, I mean, you've, you've been around a bunch of acquisitions. How many times does the acquiring CEO stay with the company long-term right. and they have, five executives on their in their C suite that were acquisitions or something like that. And Brett Taylor and and Adam and all that stuff. I mean, there's a reason why. Right. Right. No, they're good at it. So I want to get into this idea of everybody's job is to be creative, which I love that you said that, because that is something that with like data driven marketing, I think we we lose that. Like we went from one area where it was like Brand is the most important thing. Creativity is the most important thing To Kind of data is the most important thing and creativity is out the window. And obviously the truth is somewhere in the middle and putting creative constraints. Was this something that you learned in previous times as a CMO that you kind of adjusted fire when you got to Dialpad? Or was this something that going into the role, you were like, I know we're going to have creative constraints and
3: therefore I need to make sure that I build the team in the right way. Right. So part of it is, is just the audience in general. So I used to work for, I'm gonna answer your question the long way around the block. So I used to work for a company called Lucidworks and I ran marketing for Lucidworks and Lucidworks was spun out of the Apache Solar project. So like, whereas we sell business communications at Dialpad, largely to IT, uh, sales and support, and then obviously conferencing, this is computer science. So it's like open source, (laughs) engineers don't love marketing. They're like, hey, marketing guy, don't make it too clever. Oh, they they don't like marketing and they hate sales. That's right. And so so in that case, like so how we talked, I used to always say like product marketing at Lucidworks was like you needed like a a um, Ph.D. in computer science with a love of Shakespeare. Like it's sort <laughs> of you, just, you, you have to be able to write really technically. And so in that case, I think we we did a really good job of actually just making we made the experiences visually, I think, more appealing It just, you know, it had really borne out of like a bunch of engineers doing marketing. And so, you know, our audience was still emotional, but like funny hold music wasn't really going to be the thing that moved them. Right? Totally. It, and so with Dialpad, one of the things that I loved about it is that one, I could explain it to my mom in the e- easiest way. Right. And just, hey, like, We sell business communications and we sell it like software. We sell it in the cloud. And I'll talk to her about AI and, you know, all of these things. And then she's like, I think I get that. And I'm like, we just take your notes for you and we do cool things for it. We help you learn from all your calls. And then she's like at a high level, she gets it. So I had like gone from something that Topsy, which was really easy to explain to Lucidworks, which is engineering, which was a challenge that I was really interested in back to something that it's borderline consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone uses the phone, everyone sends texts, et cetera, et cetera. So in that scenario, it felt appropriate. We have sort of like a mass market opportunity. You know, if you just look at every business line in the world, it's massive. I don't know, it's a hundred billion dollar market. So we can approach it. It's less of like, it's just less of like, a, I need to be this overly logical marketer And it's all data driven. But at the same time, we don't want to be like, it's just like days of old where just spend a bunch of marketing dollars and let's see how, you know, let God sort it out. Like who knows? Right. And so we were able to
4: Super Bowl ad and then we'll be all right.
3: That's right. We were able to find the middle ground pretty easily because I think that was where the company was biased. Like we want to make sure that we measure everything we can. But Craig, who's the CEO and founder, my boss, he appreciates that some things, we don't get so caught up on attribution that we won't do things that we think can't be definitively attributed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and I think it goes back and forth. Like, you know, again, whereas Lucidworks, too hard on brand, you lose your audience. Not enough on brand, you're like, what are you doing? Like, what's the point? Dialpad, you know, too much on brand, you're, you're missing out on a huge data opportunity because we have a massive market that we can programmatically market to. So you don't want to do that but if you just do the date opportunity and programmatically market to everyone you lose the brand opportunity which is really hard when all of our competitors have really massive brands absolutely like watch the warriors game i was, I was like, gonna bring it's that like up. there's all of our i'm like oh there's our competitor and there's
4: our competitor and there's our competitor. I was, going, I was that was my next question you read my mind i was gonna say this is when you're competing with people who have brand budgets to sponsor sporting events. That is like the exact antithesis of, well, we,
3: we ain't buying the suite. That's right. So what are we going to do? That's right. And so the answer is, it's just a matter of getting, especially in a large market, you got to get enough at bats for the sales team. Because if you believe in the product, which we do, we win when we compete. Mm -hmm. The challenge is just that like, so the challenge becomes awareness. It's like, okay, well, we can only spend so many dollars on paid, we can only spend so many dollars on ABM like we need some leverage and like, you know, the channel is leveraged, but also creative creates leverage where we can create sort of outsized returns on the investment. I'll give you a good example. We just launched a product for sales teams last two weeks ago, and it's it's a really interesting product. It's sort of the mashup of all of the history of Dialpad's telephony platform with the talk IQ acquisition that we did. and. And it sort of goes like this, like you make a sales call, Dialpad allows you to do that from any device, your cell phone, your desktop, your desk phone. It syncs it with Salesforce. Great, it's fantastic. But we then help you learn from that call because we can transcribe the call and analyze it in real time. So we can both say like, hey, here's all the interesting moments that happened on that call. But also in the moment, let's say I'm a BDR, I can see what like what's being said through natural language processing. So if someone brings up my competitor, I can literally present on screen just based on the word spoken. Like, here's what you need to know about the competitor. If someone wants to talk about pricing. So you sort of augment people's intelligence. Right. Um, I always say it's like, it's not the self-driving car. It's the little blind spot mirror. Yeah. Like that lights up and says, if you go to the right, you're going to hit someone. And so, or beeps and you stay in your lane. Right. So that's the way we think of it. And so in this particular case, like we launched it with some sponsored content with a ridiculous parody account called Corporate Bro which I, you know, I makes me laugh because I used to be in sales. I know a lot of people in sales and really it's the Stanford graduate student. And he's created a comedy account that's really just like parodying all of the like ridiculous things about software sales and the people. And, and, you know, he's over the top. So for that audience, like it's such a great way for us to launch because it sort of shoots us out of a cannon in terms of like now we have, I mean, we're trying to develop a point of view with an audience that doesn't think of. A uh, synonymous with sales mm-hmm. and so i can No, we'll do that through adwords and we'll do that through content and we'll do it all but sometimes you just you find someone who's got that audience already and you just say like how much would it take to get in the into the stream there right and i mean it's the classic influencer model but it's a way like we talked about this but like craig and i aren't going to do stand up about sales people exactly like, we don't have the credibility to do so it would just be awkward probably would be job limiting um, (laughs) or certainly product limiting, but this person already has the audience essentially doing that. And so, you know, being able to identify where the salespeople live in this particular case and, and things that sort of make them laugh or get their attention and then just, you know, getting onto that. And then we'll also do some, some things that are much a little more academic, like sales webinars or whatever it is with people who just have an audience on talking about things like sales coaching and managing cadence. So we're, you know, it's, it's all about trying to cover all of those things, but we're looking for leverage in a way that we won't get just by saying like, we're running six months of AdWords on these campaigns and we're going to optimize it to death. Um, we'll do that anyway, but like it's sort of a dollar in and some fraction out, whatever it is. Whereas when you go creative, you have the opportunity to just to say like one plus one equals something more than two. Well, it, we we talk about this a lot on
4: the show about when you do creative things and you and content allows you to be scalable. When you only play the casino, there is no amount of virality ever. It is not baked in. If you're doing AdWords and Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all these other things and retargeting and everything, when you're living in a pay per click universe, inherently there is no virality or scale or something. And none of that is memorable. It brings the people who, once they already like you, it brings the people who are searching for you. It does all of that really well. Right. But it's the wrong tool to build a brand that people actually care about you. And they're not going to care about you before they use your product at all. That's right. So if you're giving them something, you know, I, I heard that this definition of branded content, I really love it, but it's like the worst thing to ever tell anyone outside of marketing is that branded content is a gift to your fans with an expectation of nothing in return, where it's like, even if this campaign goes horribly wrong, at least we put something great into the world that they love that is associated with our brand. The downside is like, you know, if you got no leads from that or you got no ABM attribution or whatever it is, like probably never gonna happen again. That's right. Um, and you're not gonna be able to convince other <laughs> people. So you gotta be able to do that. But I just think that to your point, the answer can't always just be, I'm gonna buy more PPC. That's <laughs> like, right. Because there's no evergreen value to that and that you're just constantly going to spend more money.
3: Right. And especially, you know, it also depends on your market too. So in some markets, so our telephony products called dialpad talk i mean that's a that's a massive market yep but the players are all known they've been identified right it's like i can name them all they're they're yep. probably advertising at the warriors game yep you can name them all and so you know there's like a stream of like very specific demand and our job is to pull demand out of that stream like make sure we get our share make sure we're able to nurture it through the funnel, make sure that our sales team's able to close it. And you know, we run that in through a productivity model and we get pretty programmatic about like hey, a dollar of this equals something else, right? And that's fantastic. But then you have markets, the sales for instance is a really good one where like the players haven't been identified yet. Mm-hmm. Like in many ways like the the need is one that's more existential. It's like how do I increase sales effectiveness? Mm-hmm. How do I like teach my new BDRs to be more confident on the phone or whatever it is or give a better sales presentation? Like they don't know that they're looking for a software solution necessarily. They're looking for answers to business questions. And that only lasts so long. That sort of moment where like people are looking for unbranded more than branded. Yeah. And when you're there like the only thing to do is to build content and brand that goes hard at that column, right? Because eventually it will shift. Eventually people will start, all the players will be identified in the market, all the competitors will be named. And then, you know, over time, people just start looking for those people and then you're running competitive ads, you're doing product marketing, working on comparisons and all of this. And so, uh, you know, when that happens, it's both a blessing because you now have sort of a market size. It's a curse because you're like, wow, that stinks <laughs> because there's no adjacency like you're they're, you know you can't try and grab them when they're looking for it's just like hey we're looking at your competitor and i'm like whoa whoa, whoa. look at us too that's a tactic it's something we all have to do but i think there's nothing more exciting in marketing is when it's a little bit of like you've got to, it's green grass it's like hey like there's a something happening here there's a lot of new entries we're all fighting for for ground right here I. That's always been something that I find probably more fun and personally satisfying than just maximizing the efficiency of your AdWord campaign.
4: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find so interesting is like the idea of a fun budget, right. it's like what percentage of budget, and this is like reductive, but I think it paints a good picture. What percentage of your budget are you spending? On things that actually will delight your prospects and customers, right? Like actually delight them, make them happy, and tell someone about it. And you know, you can call it the fun budget. You can call it the experimental budget. I forget who said this, but they call it the "I give my team ten percent." and I only want to know if it works. I don't know what what they what they spend it on and if it if it doesn't work, I want them to be able to report back. but just ask for forgiveness, don't ask for permission on where that money goes but i I think that there's some there's some amount of experimental stuff that you have to do. How do you view that and like you know structure those conversations with your team so they can you know take a chance
3: yeah, so back to everyone's job as awareness i I might have answered your question <laughs> might have not. It comes down to, so my think is this, is that like you are the person who runs demand for me, like she is a paid savant. She's amazing. Her team is amazing. Like that is a specialized skill that the person running customer marketing for me doesn't understand. Right. And so like in many ways, like as we get bigger, all startups and especially marketing departments go from sort of like general to specialized. Mm-hmm. And that's a painful moment in time and companies in general do, because you lose some of the scrappiness of like, we're all doing everything Mm -hmm. that doesn't scale. So eventually you have to have people who can be experts in their specific discipline. Um, But awareness is we're all consumers. That's my message to my team is like, you see something that moves you put that through the dial pad lens. One is that we have like a sort of safe safe space for everyone to contribute ideas. What is that? Where is that? Um, Well, we live and die on Slack for this. And then we usually like we start things like Slack and then we meet pretty regularly just to like whiteboard ideas. And we have like a a green hat rule. Like you're not allowed to criticize anyone's idea until it's time. Then you can criticize away. But you just we just dump as many ideas as we can on the board. Yeah, it's yes. And right. Yes. And hundred percent. so we We talk about this all the time. Yeah, we do, too, because, you know, our chat, our CEO
4: is a writer and so The number one thing to not do to a writer is to just stomp on their ideas immediately because like one idea is the starting point. It's the launch pad for the 15th idea, which is actually the good thing. But if everyone, when they come to you are like, hey, let's do this. And then your response is like, no, let's not because that's a terrible idea. You're not allowing for serendipity to take hold.
3: That's exactly right. And we we see this a lot with like a harsh generalization, but I see this a lot with like younger designers Mm -hmm. versus so you know designers who have and this is purely an age thing and i'm going to go say this is a harsh generalization but also there's some truth to it it's the difference between people who sketch and people who start their work in a digital uh, platform so like if i want to talk about a billboard oftentimes i just want to sketch something like literally sketch Mm -hmm. it on the whiteboard but like designers, especially now will oftentimes bring you like a finished product. And I, I'm always like, Oh no, no, no. I didn't want you to spend that much time on it. Totally, Like that's too, it's too high fidelity. Like now, like there's nowhere to go. Like it's either we love it or we just have to go backwards and it's, it's easy to go backwards on the whiteboard. It's much harder to go backwards in envision. Right. And so, and that's one of the things. And, and also, I also think that like, Not every CMO thinks that way. Like I much prefer to see the raw footage of everything. Like I want to see all of the thinking and then let's collectively find the best answer in that. So when things get too much, like there's too much on the cutting room floor that I don't see, it just sort of drives me crazy because it's, I rarely sort of say like, you nailed it. You know, I'm I'm always thinking like, what, where did this come from? And when you find the idea that was derived from usually good things happen. So, but it's a challenge of like speed creativity approvals but you know we don't overburden we just say like be smart we we have a sort of thing we just say do the right thing yeah the doll pad it's like you i mean you know what's bad dude so what what's the absolute it has to come to keith before it goes out i mean yeah that's a great question you've asked this question of other people on Damn. the show it's a really you good listen question. no i liked it i it's, a, it's such a good question it really i mean anything that's out of home I have to. So we just started doing radio ads here locally. Did you it? Really? Yeah, which is a big step. Yeah, our, no kidding. And we're doing some things with the Warriors just around the sort of the finals and stuff and on radio. And so I was in the car the other day and we had a big, mad dash to sort of create some radio spots. and and our head of corporate marketing was nice enough to call me in her radio voice and read them to me oh that's so good and i'm like no no say it again. wait a second and so we would so things like that when they're highly visible and the they're sort of risky or there's perceived risk like they have to come across my desk just so i can say like i saw it no one's surprised yeah but if it's like something that i know the and oftentimes if i don't know the answer like if i just if i know the answer and it's low risk, then oftentimes I'll just let someone do it and I'll just keep them on the rails. But if it's, if it's like risk meaning like, not like, could it take the company down? Risk just mean like a lot of people are going to see this and I don't really know the answer. I'm heavily involved. So obviously major changes to the website, anything public facing, any out of home ads like that. What I don't need to see is like the 50 variations of like a retargeting creative that totally. we're doing, right? That's, I've, don't have time for that when you have brand guidelines and things right. that they're working. and also a really smart team and i i mean i think like one of the things that i've been really fortunate over the years to work for people that like didn't hold it against you when you made a mistake right and when that happens it's very freeing now if you make lots of mistakes <laughs> that's usually not a good thing but like if something didn't go quite as planned or like You know, it took a little bit of a riot when you thought it was going to take a left. Like, I've been very fortunate that people I've worked for over the years have said, like, that's part of the process. That's a good thing. Like, now we learn from it. The only downside is not learning from it. So I'd like to think that one of the things I bring to my team is that same thing. It's like, sometimes we, sometimes it just doesn't go as planned. That's so important because we actually had this conversation like two
4: days ago with our founding team where Chad who loves to run extremely wild experiments, we kind of had the internal talk of like, there's going to be some stuff that I want to do that crashes and burns sometimes. And like, we just got to be okay right. that that happens. But I think it was one of those, and usually I'm on the other end of that conversation, like, eh, it's all right if, if you know, we, we try something that doesn't work. But it's always, it feels great to get the reminder from whether it's your board or your, CEO or whatever it is, like to be able to, and that's like a little bit of coaching up sometimes too, is it, they're not all going to be winners and making sure that your team understands that like, don't kill yourself, like right. don't go home and like stew over the weekend about the fact that we had a campaign that did bad, like, you know, shake it off and let's you know, fix it for the next
3: time. Yep. It's really, again, common sense is rarely common practice, but If you're really, if you're scared of failing on something, you just find the safest possible spot, right? And then it goes back to like, you know, it's really hard to be, I've, I've never met a company that was really good at being something for everyone. Like it just, you've got to be something for someone. Yep. And oftentimes that means that you're, you're basically by acknowledging that you're saying we're not something for this other group, right? In our world, it's really simple. Like if you haven't moved, like communications is the last mile of cloud adoption. CRM, it was files, it was email, and then it's the telephone. It's hard for me to imagine at scale that like we're going to build a billion dollar business selling to companies who don't trust their email in the cloud yet. Yeah, exactly. Right. So by definition, we're not for those people. Yeah. I mean, you don't see
4: a bunch of like phones sitting around our our studio right right it's like if you if you kind of watch what the startups do like if no startup on earth would
3: go buy 100 telephones for their office right then why would you be doing it right and also like we know that's an early trend we also know that people don't have home lines anymore the majority of american households no longer have a home line so we know those the people that grew up in those households will go to work and they see a desk phone and they're like, what is this? Yeah. Like it just, it's like a four, like literally it's a foreign thing. <laughs> it's like, and so, and they are like, I've got this thousand dollar device in my pocket. I've got a 13 inch MacBook, like the, of the three devices that I have available to me, the desk phone is the least logical one to use if the other two will do the job. And so, yeah, it's really, it bends the way you think. And it also helps you like be something for someone when you just acknowledge who, who is a bad fit for you, it's tough when you're trying to get revenue too, cause you want all of the dollars. Yeah. You want to see, that's a great point.
4: That was like the Salesforce thing that you brought up earlier when they trotted out, no software, how many people did that piss off? And it's like those early adopters are like, damn, that's true. You know? And as that continues to shift, it's like time progresses yeah. and the person who, you know, leaned forward and, said hey this is the future that is that is coming right then
3: all of those people will adopt right the best creative ideas i think once you sort of know your audience and you kind of know i think internally how far you can go right you you know you you've sort of identified it's like hey like there's no tolerance for for anything sort of risk well okay well then that's not a great place to sort of break through Then the, the most creative ideas I always find are the ones that are the easiest to like when someone can explain it to you in five seconds and you just get it. As you talked about this, we did this robot video and it was just, that was it. It was just like, what if we just audition really terrible robots to be our AI? Was it, I got it. Made me laugh. It reminded me of the SNL failed audition skits that they always do. Um, the fast talker one was like, Hey, like you're the, you're the new person whose job is to take notes on the conference call. But everyone talks really fast and you can't understand. totally got it, right Those types of things like billboards out of home, paid ads, any of those things like usually if you get it in five ten seconds, it's usually a good idea. Do you run
4: paid ads against those content assets?
3: Um, we do, yeah, we do we we do both so it's really the notion of anything going viral anymore it's like impossible to even conceive because oh, yeah. everything's so paid so we run we use them in all of our assets and we will we're willing to pay for eyeballs on those things because it's such a great like especially if someone like part of part of the challenge with marketing is that you know we want to get ahead of where are the people it's like hey like i'm I'm in a very different place than you are. It's like a relationship. It's like, we're like, let's get married. Mm-hmm. And the, the person viewing the ad is like, I'm just exploring the space right now. And so oftentimes like, like a video, especially something that's sort of branded and interesting, you don't require, I don't need any contact information. It's just like, I'm communicating something to you about how we see the world. And ideally, that's lines up with how you see the world, or at least will say like, "Oh, that's interesting or they're insane, whatever it is. And then I'd want to learn more. Whereas like when you download like an ebook or something, even though that's also a tactic we use it, it does start to feel a little more like a commitment. One it's long form, like to reading who has time oftentimes. And then, um, you know, if I have to give a contact information, it's just like prepare yourself for the onslaught. Yeah, totally. And so it's a challenge, but at the same time, what else is marketing supposed to do, right? I mean, the job is to sort of feed the funnel. So I I think being a CMO, I'd say being in marketing at like a B2B company, tech company, especially in the earlier stages, is obviously I'm biased. It's a hard job. Totally, It's a really, really hard job.
4: Okay, last question before the lightning round. I'm sure a bunch of our listeners were kind of nodding along to a lot of the stuff you're saying thinking, yeah, that's great, but my leadership team or my CEO or my CMO or whatever, our board is not funny and doesn't actually care for tongue in cheek stuff or whatever. So how would you recommend for folks like that, that might have, we'll say a little bit more boring marketing strategies in the past, get, get creative, have fun with it and be able to create something that is a little more memorable.
3: Sure. So the i mean i don't think we like fun and funny because i'd like to think we're fun and funny people like that's just kind of who we are i don't like i also think that can get really gimmicky totally if you're not careful and i i if there's one thing that i concern myself about when we think about again like building a brand building it from under capitalized position relative to the to the market right and so trying to find leverage through creativity I, I'm like, okay, well, is that gimmicky? Are we just coming across as, like, gimmicky? Like, that's not lame. the goal. Yeah, lame, like, wow, that's not funny. It really stresses me out. <laughs> that is the thing, because, like... You sound like a creative, my man. There's nothing worse than that, right? Where you're like, I thought it was going to be funny, and everyone, no one got it, right? Like you
4: are just hovering over that, like, publish button or submit button or whatever it is. God, that is, like, the ultimate moment where, like, you're you a writer now, you're like... I didn't think I was a writer in this job. And then you're like, I hate this. I hate right. this. Like we had really quick story when we were working with Alec Baldwin on the story. And uh, I wrote, I was like, I got to put myself in the, in the thing, in the thick of it. And so I wrote one of the stories, like I wrote it. Bob Ross is like a huge hero of mine. So I wanted to write the Bob Ross story and he was a vet and I'm a vet and all that stuff. And so I like actually wrote it and I had to sit there and like watch Alec read through this story And the whole time I'm just like, this is the worst thing you've ever written. This is a piece of crap. I can't believe you wrote (laughs) like, why did you put that section there? Like all this sort of stuff, like all of the fear, uncertainty and doubt, just like wave over wave and him just like, okay, what's the next story? And then just being, just sitting there like, oh, he hated it. I hate my life. Like all that stuff. And uh, he got through the fifth story and was like, man, these fire me up. I love it. Like, let's do some more. And it was like, finally, like Chad and I having that moment of just like, (laughs) oh, my goodness. But that's the thing, right? You just sit there and you don't know. And when you do something creative as business, you're like, am I going to get fired? Is this stupid? Is everyone going to hate it? Like, that is real. And when you're trying to do creative stuff, like, it's not an easy decision. This is why being safe is
3: easy. That's right. So I think to the to answer your question to the people in those situations, I would reframe it from fun. Because some people don't think of business as being fun, sure. right? And I would put it as more like emotional, like, so it's really binary. Like, do you think your audience has emotions? Yeah, totally. the answers? Yes, regardless of who they are. And so what's the emotional hook? Like, how are you connecting with them that way? And in some cases that like humor may be the absolute wrong way. Like humor will cause you to lose credibility because they're expecting you to show up in a lab coat. Yeah. Right. And so I think it always goes back to that. That's the, that's the story with LucidWorks is like, you know, this is Java, not JavaScript. It's, it's intense. Right. Yeah. And these are like, you know, lifelong engineers. And so you lose credibility, but what they what they wanted was really good information. That was the point of view was as an authority. And so in that case, we made an emotional hook with them, even though, no one, well, you and I would not call it fun or funny, but it worked, right? But super
4: helpful. It's I mean, super that's, helpful. That's a that's yep. an endearing emotion. Like if Old Spice was really helpful to me, that's right. It's like, eh. But they're super funny with their ads and like right. get to know your smell and all that stuff, right. right? So it's like authentic and feels feels true to them.
3: Do you follow Slim Jim on Instagram? I don't. I should. You so plug for some hey so slim Jim is a like a meat stick for anyone listening to this that may or may not have grown up in the South or lived in the South or had or in the US Army yeah like or the US Army thousand. I ate a thousand of them as a child and so um so they they've just turned the Instagram the whoever runs their account it's just amazing it's just like turning something that's really not that funny like a meat stick into something that's hilarious like it's just all memes and it's really it's really really well done in a way that i almost was like i haven't had a slim Jim in 20 years i should go get a slim Jim. so congratulations to whoever's running that account but it's such a great and i know that's consumer and i appreciate the difference but like someone there you know Slim Jim, to my knowledge, for however long it's been around, hasn't been the, you know, they had the Randy Savage They had thing, Randy Savage, yeah. But, like, it, that was just sort of really bizarre. But you didn't, I never thought, like, wow, hijinks, like, what a group of, like, stand-up comedians that are thinking about Slim Jim. And, and now it's the thing that all my friends share with me. They yeah. think it's hilarious. And that's like, you know, you look at, like, Wendy's
4: being Dave Thomas right, and, like, right. kind of just, like, a little right. bit of Eeyore tongue-in-cheek, right. like- sort of stuff to how funny their account is. Uh, But I think want to talk about creative constraints, like there's only so much you can talk about with a Slim Jim. That's right. So you got to find ways to be creative.
3: Yeah. And I just think like the the one point that I would reemphasize is that constraint really does like constraints makes a better outcome. Like you can then, if you have infinite resources, can then put that outcome all over the place. But like in terms of like having whether it's timeline, whether it's resources, whether it's like just legal constraints, like whatever it is, you'll find your way better than if it's just complete green grass. I mean, I heard this interview one time with Ben Tench, who, who actually played keyboard for the heartbreakers. Right. And so, and he was talking about pro tools and how like, he's never heard a really great album, a really great piece of music that was, that used audit, like really great, like timeless, not like yeah. good today. I'm yeah. talking like 20 years from now that didn't have constraints. Like, It didn't have auto-tune. Like, you you know, if you can just fix everyone's voice, then you have, like, you don't, you lose, like, can you imagine if Neil Young used auto-tune? Totally. Like, you know what I mean? Or Dylan or any of these people, like, the beauty of it is in the sort of, like, imperfection of it, whereas if you can just go and post and fix everything, like, what you have is sort of, like, something that sounds good, sounds like everything else, and then you forget about it. I think the same thing applies to... Not nearly as interesting as like, damn, the torpedoes and Tom Petty, but like it applies to marketing. Like when you can, when you have to like push something out and live with the consequences and you have some sort of constraints in the process, you take it a lot more seriously. And you also don't think like you sort of like perfection isn't the goal. I don't think, I think once you acknowledge that your personal life as well, usually you find yourself in a happier spot, but you can find the place where it's like you took a chance. It was creative. It's a little imperfect because that's probably the way it's gonna be, but you found your audience and you found something that they care about and that they'll emotionally respond to. Like when you do it, it's what's better than that, right? It's so much fun. And that's when I think it's fun to be in marketing. If you go back and read any of the oral histories of like any of your
4: favorite movies, you right. realize how ridiculous all of the creative constraints are yep. in all of those movies. I, I've talked about it. I think in one episode about Swingers was made for like 450 grand or right. something, and like a bunch of the footage from that was one take because they weren't really allowed to shoot in a lot of the places. No, they're that at the they're...
3: Dresden, and it was probably open like to the public or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, so when like...
4: they shot the scene at the like Welcome to Vegas sign, mm-hmm. uh, that's that was all legal footage. You can't stop on the road there and shoot footage, right? Yeah. I, I think my, my piece of advice, which was unsolicited, so I'm answering my own question, but it's like all of your team or your company or whatever, do a survey monkey or do some sort of thing. Ask your company to submit like, what are your favorite TV shows? What are your favorite like like online you know, personalities, like whatever it is. If it's brother nature, just go slide in the DMs and go reach out to one of those people. If it's, you know, corporate bro, like you did, go reach out to those people. I guarantee you that they would be more than willing to do some type of fun creative content yep. with you and like run an experiment about it. That's I just right. think that that is like those things are out there. One of the great ones um there's a YouTube channel called uh, uh you suck at cooking and it is freaking hyster- have you seen this? No. <laughs> That's amazing. Also uh, it is hysterical it's this guy in Canada and he does overshot cooking videos right and he's like not that good of a cook and he's like one of the most creative hilarious guys and like lo and behold like hello fresh reached out to him and he's they've been doing like you know brand integrations at the end of like hello fresh and they're super funny ads it's like absolutely hysterical stuff like that like right. go reach I promise you that the creators
3: would love it <laughs> because they're starting right. to death so have you ever watched nailed it by chance oh yeah yeah, that my daughter loves that. Which is like, it, for you listening, it's like basically they take like these Pinterest cakes that you see that are like perfect, and then they get amateur bakers to try and yeah. remake them, and it's hilarity ensues. And she thinks it's hilarious.
4: What and the, what's the other one with those? Uh, all the the guys they built like a whole company out of this. Uh, dude, perfect. Yeah, dude, perfect. I mean, they've built a whole my my eight year old nephew just like loves that stuff and. It, but see that's the sort of stuff I think man wanna talk about arbitrage and marketing. How many, you know, C-level executives have kids between the age of 7 and 13 that are watching Dude Perfect videos, right? That's right? Like but nobody kind of like makes the next there's a lot of that. You know, we had a CIO on one of our shows, huge fly fishing fan, loves this fly fishing podcast. Like if I was listening, I would go sponsor that podcast That's right, because he named it on the thing. Like, there's just lots of stuff like that where I think if you're creative and thoughtful, you can actually bring some value and it's going to be way more memorable than like, you know, your 300 by 250 display ad. That's right. We got to bring you back in for uh, you'll be our uh, our like comedy uh, content correspondent uh, bringing Keith to, to talk about favorite stuff because it seems like you guys see a lot. Or you all see a lot.
3: Well, we, we, we definitely look for it. And we, I mean, we, again, if I see something funny, it's memorable, right? It's just, like it's cuts through the sea of, of all of the things that come into my life as a CMO and as a consumer and it goes straight to it. I think they're amazing. And those are the things my friends share too. So yeah, I would happily come back in any capacity. All right, let's do lightning. That was the,
4: that was the long last question. All right. These are fast and easy questions. You've listened before, so I might have to switch these up.
3: All right. I'm listening. Let's do it.
4: And thanks again to our friends at Pardot. These questions are lightning fast, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM lightning round style questions. Keith, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun?
3: Ooh. Um... I've been deleting apps, but the one I use the most right now is I'm, I love Instagram. i I use Instagram lightning round answer. I won't tell you why. Ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're most envious of. The, the Slim Jim creative is pretty amazing.
4: Favorite follow on social media.
3: Ooh, I raw, I follow the Rick Rubin bot that just tweets out absurd. <laughs> That's Rick Rubin quotes. So there you go. Favorite book or podcast you've read or listened to recently? I love Mark Marin. Mark Marin and David Letterman last week was really great. It's charming. Thing you're most excited about for the future marketing? Um, I think marketing is making its way into every other function, whether they want it or not. Best advice for a first time CMO? Get a mentor. Can't stress that enough. I've been pretty fortunate to have several. What
4: question do you never get asked that I did not ask you today that you wish you were asked more often?
3: I really like to talk about barbecue and no one wants to talk about barbecue. Oh,
4: we're so in. We had a off record, like 35 minute talk with Kurt Stoll, the Uh, director of marketing at 3d systems and he sent his brisket recipe and i'll show it to you afterwards it is so detailed shout out to kurt if you're listening because he's freaking awesome um yeah talk to me talk to me about barbecue where's the best spot around here
3: oh i'm it's rough it's rough rough. and bay area is rough Um, 4505 is good there's a decent place actually in uh marin called pig and a pickle it's pretty good they do pretty good they, they do a good version of everything a great version of nothing mm-hmm. but it's like a it's a wasteland around here it's the worst place in
4: barbecue it's got to be in the whole world right that's <laughs> where you can go anywhere else it's pretty bad 4505 is good though
3: all right i'll have to check it it's out it's in san francisco uh oh i've been there that place is pretty good yeah yes. they have good
4: brisket which is like
3: hard to do hard to do yeah brisket and, is that is not for the faint
4: of heart and like burnt ends nobody does it right here that's it's right Crazy, we were just in Austin for serious and I was like, "This is amazing!" Gosh, um, anything else in
3: barbecue? I'm a I'm a pulled pork person. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, I like country ribs. Shout out to Dreamland in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I've not been there. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, you know, in the in the South, Texas is brisket country, and you know, the Carolinas is pulled pork, and then they just argue over the type of sauce. That's It's the things that keep us entertained. For those aspiring
4: marketers, do you have any open recs on the team? Yeah, we're current marketers, not just
3: yes, yes, aspiring. We we all marketers. Um current or aspiring. Yeah, we are we're getting really serious about our content team. I just hired a head of content who is a former producer at Sixty Minutes. Cool. Um she's fantastic. And we're really structuring it. I mean like like a separate bu almost like it's its own thing and now i'm just looking for really um creative and competent people to work with her that's awesome it will uh we'll drop the uh, careers
4: page in the show notes thanks so much for hanging out today this is awesome
3: yeah thanks for having me 200 degrees we did it yeah
4: 200 it's like the juveniles album 400 degrees in here
3: that's right thanks so much thanks everyone
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes.